the school-based health alliance, the commitment to engaging our youth in their health, in their peers' health, in their families' health, and advocacy around that for their rural communities is tremendous. Welcome to This is Rural Health, a podcast from the California State Rural Health Association. The CSRHA is focused on ensuring that the needs and voices of rural Californians are expressed and heard and is continually working toward improving the quality and length of life of rural Californians. This podcast brings together leaders in rural health care with policy advisors, community leaders, and other forward thinkers to gain a better understanding of what's happening across today's rural health care ecosystem. Each week, you'll hear the unique perspectives of industry and community leaders and how they're finding innovative solutions to the challenges of a rapidly changing and increasingly complex healthcare industry. Welcome, everybody, to Season 2, Episode 3 of This is Rural Health, the official podcast of the California State Rural Health Association. I am Scott Hertzberg, your president-elect and host for this episode. In today's episode, we are going back to school. We are looking at school-based health centers. And in particular, I speak with Tracy McDonald-Mendez, the executive director of the California School-Based Health Center Alliance, Colleen McAvoy, the manager of the Bronco Clinic School-Based Health Center in Bishop, and Nicole Mosqueda, the chief administrative officer of Camarena Health in Madera. One of the things that I really enjoyed about this episode, besides learning more in general about school-based health centers, is making a connection with these three women about the role that a school-based health center plays in both the school and in the larger community. You know, seems like in many of these cases, especially with middle school and high school age students, that being able to go to the school-based health center to get information about reproductive health and, you know, planning out their adolescent health care scheme, whether it is mental health or dental health in some cases, or behavioral health, is just such an invaluable resource. And I think that you all will be really curious to learn how much of an impact on the communities around our schools that these school-based health centers can take. So without further ado, Season 2, Episode 3 on School-Based Health Centers. Hello, everybody. This is Scott Hertzberg with the California State Rural Health Association. And it is September. We are in Season 2 of This is Rural Health, and we are headed back to school. To help facilitate this conversation, I've got Tracy McDonald-Mendez, the Executive Director of the California School-Based Health Center Alliance, Colleen McAvoy, a manager of the Bronco Clinic School-Based Health Center in Inyo County in Bishop, and Nicole Mosqueda, the Chief Administrative Officer of the Camarena Health in Madera. Welcome, all three of you. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Thank you for having us. Thank you. I know that for me, when I think of school-based health, I think of that one nurse that has the blue pills and the pink pills and an ice pack, and then that's it, right? That's my school health experience. And then as I got older, my wife is a teacher. She goes, oh, no, there's not that one nurse. There's one nurse for four schools, and you have to be lucky to get the day that the nurse is there. And then I started reading about this school-based health center thing, and I'm like, what the heck is a school-based health center? That sounds amazing. So Tracy, I'm going to kick it to you kind of to to get us started since you were at the School-Based Health Center Alliance. What is a school-based health center? How is that different from that standard door next to the principal's office with a bed to lay down? Thanks for asking. Um, And I do want to say that the California School-Based Health Alliance also supports school nurses. So this is both different, more and very complementary to school nurses and what the great work that they do. 
So school-based health centers are usually small and sometimes very small, uh, as Colleen will attest, clinics that are in or very near like K-12 public schools. And they provide primary health care services by licensed medical professionals like doctors or nurse practitioners. And then they usually provide an array of other services that are relevant to that school population, like mental health and behavioral health services, health education, health insurance enrollment, sometimes dental, sometimes full dental services or vision services, and then sometimes like youth programming, like youth development programs, like after school, peer health education, for example. And, um, you know, just to give you some context, there are 293 of these in the state of California. Um, only a small minority are in rural areas, which is something we can talk about today. And the clinics are oriented towards students, but sometimes they also serve other populations like siblings of students or graduates of the school or school staff or families or even some cases the entire community. Oh, wow. Okay. That is much, as you said, much more comprehensive and complementary than I think I realized. So in in some areas like Colleen, your Inyo is, is our, our very rural partner uh, in California. Um, that might be the only healthcare provider or one of the few healthcare providers in the area? Well, I work in Bishop, California, which you know, if you're not familiar with it, is it's in the eastern Sierras on the backside of the Sierras, very close to the border of Nevada. Inyo County has like 18,000 people, so we're very rural. And the town of Bishop has about 4,000, maybe 10,000 in outlying areas. And the town of Bishop is where the small community hospital is. We have a hospital with 25 beds, rural hospitals. So I practice at Northern Inyo Healthcare District at the hospital outpatient pediatric clinic. And then when I moved here about six years ago, I had worked at a school-based health center before, and I thought how great it would be if I could reach the adolescents at the high school here. Because in a rural area, you know, they've had a hard time reaching out the teens to get family planning services and other things. So a couple of years ago, we started the school-based health center at the Bishop Unified School District. So that's me. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's been great. It's been really great. I moved here as I said, six years ago, and was seeing adolescents who were telling me in their sports physicals and other things in the pediatric clinic that they weren't able to get access to birth control because they were worried their parents were going to find out and, you know, other people were going to find out. And so this has given them a place to come and get confidential care, which is awesome. Right. And if you're dealing with, you know, high school aged, they're all at that perfect age where they have some intelligence and they don't have to tell their parents. Thank you, California's consent laws. Yeah, and it'd be great if they could talk to their parents about everything. And there's a lot of parents they can talk to, but most of them honestly just don't feel comfortable. So it's given them that, but also continuity of care because I'll see, like, for example, this morning I saw a young man who I saw the other day in the pediatric clinic for a concussion after football. And, you know, it keeps him in school because he can just follow up with me over here and get cleared to return to play. So parents are very happy with that aspect. I can also, if a young person has headache or an injury, I can can give ibuprofen or something like that with parent consent, which is really hard for the school to do because there is no school nurse. And, you know, as a nurse practitioner, I can prescribe that and dispense medication. So that helps keep children at school, which is great for everyone, you know, for them and for their parents and for everyone. So, or I, someone sick, I can do a strep throat test. And Oh my gosh, I, I need the home rapid strep test. 
We have the home rapid COVID test. I'm like, can I get a home? I mean, I don't want to do, I would hate to do that to my kids, the swab, but man, a home rapid strep instead of trying to get an appointment or something, that would be huge for, for me to do for my kids. Well, your kids need a school-based health center. Oh my goodness. My kids' school is across the street too, which is really convenient, but yeah, they have a nurse that visits between three different schools. So Nicole, you are in Madera and you guys, from reading this, you guys have several school-based health centers out in Madera County. Yeah, so we're in Madeira, which is smack dab in the Central Valley, at the center of the state, um, very rural farm working communities. You may drive through Madeira um, off the 99, a major interstate going throughout California and feel like it is very highly populated. But as you leave some of the center of the town, we've got very rural, rural areas, um, farm working, a lot of ag. And then also in the county, you know, we are close to... Um, our Yosemite and Bass Lake and Oakhurst. And so very rural, hard to access areas to access care. Um, and so we have two school-based health centers that um, were years ago when I first started with my organization, Camarena Health, there was such a need with working with the schools and uh, a challenge for our schools to keep students in school. And parents couldn't take their, you know, their working in the fields. They couldn't get their kids back and forth from a doctor's appointment to school. So you had a lot of absenteeism, as well as just unmet needs in the community. And so we began work of identifying really innovative ways to deliver care to our students. And then through that, um, with the school district, Madeira Unified School District, we were able to really look at some of the, the major areas in the communities and the gaps of care. And one being with our high school students and that pediatric population, the, the adolescents that are a little bit older and the needs that they were having um, from behavioral and mental health needs to just your basic medical needs, as well as dental. And so we um, were fortunate to build a wonderful relationship with Madeira Unified School District and put the first school-based health center in the county on one of their largest high schools. Um, it's housed over 3,200 students on that campus. And as you can imagine, there's tons of need there. And so um, we're, we were able to uh, build from ground up through a partnership with them and created, um, we, we walked the campus and saw the need for the school nurse and what they were working with. And we were able to build the nurse's office into the community health center to really have that collaborative care between the school and um, our health center facilities. And so it's been a great partnership. We have medical, um, dental, and behavioral health on the campus. And then this past over COVID, last um, COVID year, they opened a brand new high school. And in as they were building that new high school, it was pertinent for them to have a school-based health center built on that campus with it. And so we worked with them to build and open that. And it's uh, been a great partnership and relationship with both faculty and family. We have secure community facing as well as um, secure access just for students to be able to access, access through the school day. So ours is twofold with being able to support the community, the families nearby. We have a lot of administration that come through our doors as well and their families. So it's been great to see. I can imagine. That's really that's really cool to hear that you um, you're you know from the ground up is building it, but then also at the point of creating that new school. I'm in Roseville, and I don't know where they're going to keep putting all these schools, but they're I feel like every two years there's a new school opening here, and that's impressive that you're able to get that in 
Well, I think that's a commitment and an outcome that our school districts are seeing. And, you know, on the mental and behavioral health side, the amount of support that having a school-based health center um, and having providers like on the campus, being able to support these students and faculty in a time of a crisis or a need or medical attention that turns into um, mental or behavioral health challenges for them down the road. And so um, these school districts are looking at ways to build the school and build these types of components in it to support their school health services is a huge step. And we're seeing a lot more of that. And Tracy's seeing that throughout the the state of California of the need and the impact that they're having. So it's been it's been great and it's a commitment. It's definitely a commitment by both the healthcare provider, but more so the school district. Yeah. So Tracy, you said you guys are just shy of 300 school-based health centers in the state, but a majority are in the more metro areas, right? Not as many in rural. Is there a desire to open more in rural as and is there like a, a gap that you guys are trying to close there? And are there any obstacles that you're running into with getting more in rural? Yes, um, we very much know. And I think most people in leadership in the state of California recognize that rural California is uh, dramatically underserved. So the data we have, there's a new report that came out that shows the prevalence of, for example, adolescent mental health issues is the same in urban areas as rural areas, but the resources are so much less in rural areas. So You know, we even have a shortage of trained mental health professionals, especially ones that are bilingual and bicultural in the cities. But uh, the rural areas have that much, that shortage is that much. So um, mental health is one example. And you could say the same of physical health, you know, um, primary care health professionals, specialists, for sure, dental care, et cetera. So yes, at the California School-Based Health Alliance, we do have a goal of increasing the presence of school-based health centers in rural areas. And there are barriers to building and supporting school-based health centers everywhere. So the state of California is a state that does not have dedicated funding for school-based health centers. Every school center has to find its own way to construct or renovate and then sustain its operations through a patchwork of funding, including, you know, Medi-Cal reimbursement, grants, et cetera. And so when you're looking at rural schools like the one Colleen is in, for example, that are so small, it's really hard to find the economies of scale that we sometimes have access to in the cities where you can have, I mean, even in uh, in Madera where Nicole is, they serve a variety of, of regions and those high schools are big, so they draw from a, a far distance. So they were able to build really big centers because the population is there. The more rural we get up into the far north and the eastern Sierras, the harder that is to do consideration. And I think just to put it out there, sometimes, um, you know, well-intentioned and very public health-minded providers like hospitals and clinics want to open these outpost school-based health centers, but only staff them maybe one day a week because that's all the volume that they see. And it's really hard to run a school-based health center if there's not a consistent, regular presence most days of the week. Students and families just don't get to gain the trust that I can drop in whenever I need it and somebody will be there. So I, to me, that's the biggest, one of the biggest barriers. So school-based health centers are both on and off campus, right? You have some that are on campus and then those that are off. So for those that are on campus, I know one of the challenges when I was working with Adventist Health, we had a rural health clinics. Rural health clinics have to meet a specific threshold for primary care. They have to be at least 50% primary care, and that's based on hours. So if they do 20 hours of work in a week, they have to have at least 10 of that being primary care. And for some of our school-based rural health centers, they didn't have students. They didn't have students who were there on campus uh, in 
a lot of 2020 and the beginning of 2021. So they were having real challenges of meeting that primary care requirement. And there was, you know, we had things like, could we just do dental? Could we? And I said, you can't just do dental. You have to meet this requirement. But it sounds like uh, school-based health centers don't have that hurdle as much. But how did you all pivot during this whole change when we had students for a large part of this last 12 months not being on campus? So for us, I think the uniqueness about our health center at school-based health center, and not all of them are the same, is that we had a community access as well. So we stayed open. I temporarily shut down right in the beginning um, just to kind of figure out how to navigate what our new normal was going to look like with COVID. Um, we went to a lot of telehealth visits, telebehavioral health, uh, but we did keep our community access open and we did see students come through there. Because they had built such strong relationships with our providers, although they weren't in the school day and could access them as easily, they were still coming through the doors, not as regular or as consistent to provide that continuity of care, but we were still seeing them and their families come through the doors. We had to get really innovative. You think about your confidential services or your behavioral mental health services. And so our telehealth teams had to be creative because these students who were wanting to access their providers that they had at school were now at home with siblings or parents or different folks doing a telehealth visit. And some of it was confidential or meeting with a behavioral health clinician, uh, not feeling comfortable. And so we chance for those students to be able to come in and access in-person care when they needed to at some of our sites, like our school-based health center. Most of our sites didn't have that access, but we did for our students to just ensure that they could do that. We had to get creative, and I'm sure Colleen did as well, in providing that care in a different format during COVID. Yeah, Colleen, what was it like for you all? Well, services stopped initially, like everywhere, everything just stopped and um, no one was coming in and then students were doing distance learning. So some students were coming in, but very few. It was really quiet. And it was unfortunate because, and it's hard for kids in the community like this sometimes or anywhere to get away from their parents, you know, if they need confidential services, like what we're offering, it was really hard for them to get in. So I had some patients, but it was really quiet. Scott, one of the other things that we we got creative with to do is we, um, our providers and our, we do a lot around career technical education with our school-based health centers and working with our health pathway programs, giving students that are interested in healthcare experiences in our school-based health center. And so during the time of Zoom school, Um, and COVID, our providers, our care teams, our health educators were able to get in the classroom a little bit more. But when they they noticed that as they got into the classroom and maybe jumped on a Zoom and did a presentation around diabetes or health topics that uh, they normally don't get to do because they're in clinic all day and full panels of patients during the day, uh, they were able to engage more students who then began was like, oh yeah, that's my provider. I need to, I want to schedule an appointment with them. And so that helped us by having those existing relationships. And it did give our providers that don't normally have those opportunities in the clinics to help support a little bit more in the classroom in a Zoom format. But it was getting creative and it was definitely hard. I won't say it was easy um, for us with our school-based health centers. And it was hard to open a brand new school-based health center and not have students coming through the door at all and not building some of those initial relationships that we built with the vice principals, the faculty on campus of how they send students over, working with the school nurse more closely because students weren't coming in. And so it was a different year for us. And that means. 
Yeah, I was doing more outreach as well via email. I found a bunch of mental... One thing I noticed with the COVID pandemic at my primary care practice and when I saw students at the high school was an increase in mental health needs. Of course, some students did well and they were happy to be at home and they get along with their families really well. Other students were really struggling emotionally and as were adults, you know, this sudden isolation and to not being able to hang out with your friends was hard for a lot of adolescents. So I was emailing mental health resources home to students, to all the students to try to support them in that time. We also actually shut down for a period to redo some of our licensing and remodel the clinic and took that time to rebuild. And now we're opening up again, which is wonderful to be able to see students back in school again. But we'll see how it goes already with the word, you know, with our approach here has been to their school district is testing everyone who's been exposed unless they've been vaccinated. And so that they're just testing already at first week, like 50 kids every other day, which is huge. So I don't know. Hopefully we'll be able to continue to stay in school this year and support students. Are you all able to do testing, the COVID testing? The school health clerk, I'm in an office with the school health clerk who isn't a registered nurse, but they are doing rapid testing. We got, I don't know where they got all the tests, but they're doing rapid testing if there's been an exposure and a student is not vaccinated doing rapid testing, I think three to four days after exposure, and then another test a few days later. And so it's a lot. It's already been a lot of students so who need to get tested. Great to just have that peace of mind, you know, do I have a pink strip on there? Nope. Okay, just blue, we're good, right? That I, yeah, having to schedule, like I was saying before the call in my wife, you know, being a teacher and I've got three kids, we have four classrooms of exposure victors and it's just like, oh, I heard so-and-so got it. And we're like, okay, got to line everybody up for tests, uh, you know, and, and doing that drive-through testing or whatever. It is much more convenient than it was a year ago, but none of my kids can get vaccinated yet. They're all under 12. And so having that as an option of, hey, I'm going to leave my class and go get a test real quick. I'll be back in 20. That is such a value add to having that. This testing is sponsored by the school district itself. They got the test somehow to keep kids in school, but I'm not actually doing it in my school based in the clinic, but it's great that they can get it done. I mean, it's so much better. I think at the level, uh, to add to Colleen, I think at the level of the testing that's taking place right now is beyond the capacity of what a lot of us school-based health center sites can do because we're providing care as well. And so a lot of it's just supporting when there's needs on those campuses with the health clerks or the health services or the school nurses who are doing the testing. Our um, high schools, our three high schools and three middle schools in Madeira, in the heart of Madeira, are, are rapidly testing and surveillance and they're doing it. In their gymnasiums, but our school-based health center actually was a mass vaccination and a mass testing site during COVID. It was set up to be a familiar place during the heart of COVID last year in 2020. It was a familiar place for families to come. We did a lot around supporting uh, the administration getting their vaccines and a lot of the school districts being able to access their vaccines through our school-based health center drive up testing sites that we were doing. But as we have kind of transitioned back into opening up, providing that care, 
the testing, you know, we try to keep our health centers a well visit site, you know, being healthy and well. And we're sending a lot of our patients, whether they're at this school-based health center or one of our other primary care clinic sites to our urgent cares to do more of the testing, just to keep it a safe and well environment for those students to access their behavioral health, their dental needs while they're on campus. Uh, And so it's been hard for school-based health centers in our rural areas and the manpower that we are. Colleen is a a one-person provider and a small care team there to be able to handle the volumes of testing that are taking place on the school sites right now. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I know I had a list of questions and you guys have been all fantastic about moving through those. One question I did have, what is the cost for a, a visit at a you know school-based health center? Is that something that is covered through insurance? Is it free to students? How does that work? I can't imagine that, you know, collecting a copay of someone's lunch money or something. I, I can share. And I, I think it's always a little different depending on your model and your practice. We're federally qualified health centers, Camarena Health is, and a majority of our patients are on Medi-Cal. And a part of the the consent forms that are sent home with the families for students to access the care, um, most of the services are billable and our insurance is provided. We do have students whose families are still unable to pay, and we have different types of payment plans or resources that we make available to those students so that their families can access them and not have bills that are coming through if they are unable to pay. We have sliding fee scales for some families who make different tiered brackets and still don't qualify for Medi-Cal, but need to access care. And so we're able to work with them to identify ways of payment or other funded programs that can support them. But our students typically will not see a copay when they come through the doors. And so it really depends on how their insurance is set up. And then those that can't pay, we find other alternatives to help offset those costs for them. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Yeah, I was figuring it, it was some sort of, you know, medi situation. But, you know, like I said, for, for me, and I'm sure for many of our listeners who work in rural hospitals or rural health clinics specifically, they may not be as familiar with this. So, you know, I'm, I just want to say that I'm so grateful to have had you three here on, a, on our podcast. Tracy, I know that California School Based Health Alliance has a conference coming up in November. Can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, we definitely might be able to throw some people in your direction. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, from November November 2nd through 4th, we will be having um, a three-day virtual conference with very low rates available to anyone, including we can slide all the way to the zero if it's a hardship to pay. We have three days focused on building bridges for healthy and resilient communities through school-based health centers and school-based health services. So three amazing keynote speakers, um, a variety of presentations, including from the two you're hearing from today, talking about the challenges of operating school-based health centers in rural areas. And then uh, we'll be talking about COVID vaccines and testing. We'll be talking about how to provide more trauma-informed care on campuses how to work with school staff to um, build a restorative start to the school year after all these challenges, racial healing and um, transformation, screening for mental health, substance abuse, and all the other things that we like to do in school-based health centers. So the audience is a very open. We usually draw a crowd that includes um, school-based health practitioners like Colleen and Nicole, but also interested parties from school districts and schools that want to start school health centers, policymakers, um, health providers that are interested in starting school-based health centers in their own communities, but don't have them, advocates and students. So we'd love to have anyone from your community join. 
Scott, I want to say one of the the big the bonuses of this association and this alliance and the support that they provide to all of us throughout the state is their commitment to engaging youth at these conferences and engaging youth leaders and developing that leadership amongst the youth to be health advocates and advocates amongst themselves. And they're very innovative of how they do that throughout the year and support all the school-based health centers with identifying funding or opportunities to engage and train youth in different topics around mental and behavioral health or substance abuse or diabetes or just various different topics. The School-Based Health Alliance, the commitment to engaging our youth in their health, in their peers' health, in their families' health, and advocacy around that for their rural communities is tremendous. So... I agree. And as I started to start my own school-based health center over here in rural Bishop, I we are an island. You know, I, I needed a, no one here at the hospital district knew how to start a school-based health center, the licensing requirements and, uh, you know, legal ins and outs. But they're luckily very devoted to doing so. But I reached out again and again to Tracy and everyone at the California School-Based Health Center Alliance to get help. And I was lucky enough to work with Tracy in the past at the school-based health center I worked at before I moved here. So had those connections because when you're starting something in a rural area, you are kind of the, you know, your hospital district doesn't know the ins and outs of billing and requirements. So it was great to have someone to reach out to. But it's been such an amazing thing in this rural community to get this going because when I first moved here, the adolescents I would see in primary care, they didn't share the same amount of stuff they did now that I'm here on the high school campus, they stop in and they're like, what about this? And it's not just about family planning and reproductive health, but anything, healthcare needs they have, mental health needs, you know. I run into them around town now and they're like, hey, you know, my friends. And, and that's such a great connection that and in that they're learning how to access healthcare as adults, you know, and learning how to reach out and access it themselves is amazing. And it's really satisfying to see the difference because they didn't share much when I would see them at the sports physicals with their parents. Even if I had their parents step out, I did not know them at all like I know them now. And um, for them to have that connection to a provider and learn how to access mental health as adults is really amazing. And it's such a great, great thing. So it's worth all the work we've put in here to um, get this going. Instilling that confidence in adolescents, both about themselves, but then about that confidence to navigate an increasingly complicated healthcare system. That is immeasurably wonderful. And, you know, I thank you so much. You know, I started my kind of, I don't know, I'm not a practitioner of any kind, but I started kind of my career in health back in grad school looking at distance learning. This is back in like the early 2000s, looking at distance learning as a means of reaching people in rural areas and providing them with comprehensive sexuality education. And the fact that we're now 20 years later and we're able to have these islands with these little beacons of light that can be an in-person resource or a telehealth resource and all that for reproductive health, but also like hey, I turned 13 and all these weird things are happening to my body that nobody wants to talk to me about. That can, I mean, that gives you 10, 20 more years of healthcare success with that patient. So, you know, I just have to say, I personally really appreciate all of the work that that you all are doing. So Tracy, if folks want to learn more about California School-Based Health Alliance, 
Yeah, thank you. I was going to um, suggest an offer. Our website is www.schoolhealthcenters.org, O-R-G, and you can click, there's a link to the conference and also lots of lots and lots of resources on various topics. I was going to mention also that if anyone is listening to this podcast and is interested in starting a school-based health center in their community, we will have a workshop at the conference on SBHC 101. And we are also working on updating our playbook for developing a school-based health center. It's called Vision to Reality. Um, it's a, kind of a Bible, but it's still getting a little outdated. So we'd be happy to share that. It's also on our website. And we'd also love to work with the California Rural Health Association. And maybe we can start a collaborative of folks that want to start school clinics and partner on that. I hope that nobody regrets this interaction because man, I've been stalking you guys for about six months now. So this is... No, it's good. It's good, you know, and it's so important from my perspective. I've seen youth, like, I feel uncomfortable going to the pharmacy sometimes here to pick up my medications because you're like, you know, everybody in this little town. And yeah, like, and even going to buy condoms, I mean, they were on lockdown at Rite Aid here and you'd have to go and they'd be go, oh, condoms aisle four, you know, and everyone's looking at you, like, for them to have a private space is amazing in a small town, you know, or anywhere. But yeah. Anyway, thank you very much for having us and thank you for being interested in school-based health centers. Yeah. So thank you so much, everybody. This is Rural Health is the official podcast of the California State Rural Health Association and is made possible by the generosity of our members. Our producer is Noelia Sanchez at Noteworthy Lab. To learn more about the CSRHA or to become a member, visit us at csrha.org. If you have a suggestion for a future guest or topic for the show, email us at podcast at csrj.org. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, please be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and to follow us on Twitter at CSRJ Podcast. Thank you so much for your continued support of the California State Rural Health Association. This is Rural Health. It's copyright 2021 by the California State Rural Health Association. To find out more about the CSRHA, visit us at csrha.org.